0: Just to be understanding, uh, listen, and accept others for who and what they are. Um, You know, it's uh, it's really important um, for everyone to feel like they're loved. You know, and that is uh, you know a, a big piece of the work that I do, and it's the biggest impact that I see that helps students feel feel good.
1: Welcome to the Break the Chains Find Your Flame podcast. My name is Steve Wopolanik, I'm a licensed mental health counselor and one of the founders of the Promethean Project. Our guests are people who have broken the chains of their limitations and found the strength of their potential. We offer their stories as inspiration and as guidance to help others navigate their quest to find their flame. Welcome back, listeners. As always, it's Steve Obolonek. Thanks for tuning in to episode 44 of Break the Chains, Find Your Flame. Super excited today. Our guest is a friend of the Promethean Project. Her name is Lori Como. She is fantastic. She's a great educational advocate and ADHD parent coach. And we get into all things holistic learning and integrative in nature. We talk a lot about how diagnoses are not what makes us us and actually can be our superpower if we're able to cultivate the right approach to it and be in an environment that helps us cultivate that. Um, Lori is also working with the Promethean Project with her company, Collaborative Learning Services, and her partner, Tabitha. They will be expert panelists on our upcoming Stigma is Curable panel on ADHD, which is happening January 20th. I'll include a link to that in the show notes. So if you're interested in coming to that panel to discuss ADHD, the diagnoses, the myths, the strengths uh, with us on january 20th please go to the show notes check it out but also listen to this podcast we do a lot of debunking and a lot of talk about myths and, and strengths that go with adhd it's a little teaser to the panel that we're doing on the 20th so without further ado here's Lori. in a world where humanity's potential is imprisoned and locked away our only hope is to break the chains and
0: find our flame
1: Welcome, Lori, to the podcast. So excited to have you here.
0: Thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
1: So, Lori, I know you and I crossed paths through Wilbraham Munson. We met there. We both were um, key speakers in a presentation on anxiety and how to manage anxiety with young kids. And I think through meeting each other, we formed a really good connection just on our love for looking at the base route of diagnoses and how to work with that rather than behavioral diagnosing and kind of going based on behavior. So I I'm really excited to have you on the podcast because I think your insight in, in this arena is, is going to be really strong. And I think this will be a good podcast for people listening who may have a diagnosis of some kind of mental health or wellness, um, spectrum and, and not sure what that means for them or what, what the actual diagnosis is, because something I found working with people is that if they get a diagnosis, and we all know insurance loves diagnosing on, on the first session, otherwise they won't pay you, um, most of the time clinicians don't go over what that means or, if, or even read through what the criteria is and say, hey, do you feel like this is a, a fair summation of what you're going through? It's something I like doing because I think it's really empowering for people to know that. Um, and I also know that's something that's really important for you to have conversations with because so many times these things are, are looked at as deficits, but really they can be strengths. Um, so I know I kind of had a long introduction. I want you to talk about yourself and then we can get into the meat of it. But I'm really excited to have you here because I, I love talking about this stuff. And I'm sure there'll be some listeners who can really find a home in what we're talking about. So if you don't mind, can you just introduce yourself and what you do and what your passions are?
0: Yeah, absolutely, thank you. Um, We are definitely on the same page, no doubt about it. Um, My name is Lori Como. Um, I'm a learning support specialist, um, educational consultant and an ADHD parent coach. I have been working in the field of disabilities for about 25 years, primarily in higher education. Um, but more recently in the past few years, because of my passions, I have kind of expanded my uh, field to include younger kids and parents. Um, The passion for me kind of started off with many years of working with students and similar to what you're saying, you know, being given diagnoses through psychoeducational summaries. um, And although I know there are so many good people out there who are doing the assessments and do review what goes on and what the diagnoses are, or the diagnosis is, but to really get to know um, a learner, and that's kind of the the spectrum that I'm looking at a person as because I'm usually working with a student one-on-one or in a group setting. incorporates how they learn and being successful with how they learn. And so I learned over the years working in the college environment, I frequently get students coming to me in college who still didn't know what was kind of going on, didn't know what worked best for them with learning, really couldn't describe their strengths or their challenges, and really didn't know that diagnosis and how it impacted them in a variety of environments. Because it's not just in school, it's at home, it's at play. Um, It's in the relationships with other people. And so my passion really grew out of a lot of students coming on board. You know, 20 years ago, they didn't come on board with anxiety and or depression, along with ADHD and or the learning disability. Now they do. And it's a concern, and I want to really affect change in this area because we need to educate parents. We need to better educate teachers. We need to better educate individuals so that they can learn what works best for them. And that first step of that diagnosis is really getting to know that diagnosis inside and out. It doesn't mean you're the textbook definition of the diagnosis. It just means that this is what's kind of going on. Now let's talk about you specifically and how it impacts you. Um, And that's where that learning curve comes into play. So that's kind of the work that I do working with parents and students and trying to teach a toolkit of strategies. But it's really about working with someone in the moment. It's not about uh, coming in with, I don't come in with a preconceived idea of what a student should or shouldn't be doing or what a parent should or shouldn't be doing. It's really working with them in the moment to learn about them and then to try things and to know that it's okay to try something, assess, see how you did, and then use what works, throw out what doesn't and rework it if you need to. And it's, it's about, you mentioned this to me recently in a conversation, it is about resiliency and it is about persistence um, and it's about building confidence and knowing that you can do well. Um, and that means something different for everybody. Absolutely. But uh, that, you know, we learned that in the process too. So.
1: Yeah. I like that a lot, especially you, you just kind of went Bruce Lee on us in, <laughs> in, in that definition of using what works and throwing out what doesn't. Right. And I think this is a really important thing with, and we'll get deeper into this concept and the further on in the podcast, but I think this is a really important thing because we often approach education or learning or interacting as, "Hey, there's only one way to do this." And in you know, not, no shade against the educational system, but I think that is the mentality that kind of approaches it. Hey, we have to teach on this IQ level, like this intelligence Absolutely. level, mm-hmm. and I think we miss out on the other, you know, Gardner's other nine intelligences that are out there and and we really do a disservice to kids if we don't bring some of those things into it like kinetic learning or interpersonal or intrapersonal or emotional intelligence or music or nature. These are all really important things. And so if we're constantly doing the same thing for these kids and it's not working or even ourselves, right? And we feel like we're on this hamster wheel with no, yeah. no interventions, it's just going to keep having the same outcome.
0: Absolutely. And I think a lot of times, well, two things I think about with what you just mentioned is that one, I think most students, most learners, most people know what they're good at. And they have a good sense of their strengths. And sometimes those options aren't in the classroom to demonstrate. Right. Um, whether it's an assessment, you know, we're always doing the paper and pencil version of a test. I know that this field has certainly opened up as well to universally designed classrooms, but there's still far and few between or universally designed thinking around how do we teach and how do we learn? Let's give more opportunities so that people can demonstrate what they know, not just through accommodation, not just through legal accommodations, Mm -hmm. but also through what do we have in the classroom for you to demonstrate how you learn best. Um, Yeah, and it's just so important for uh, that to kind of happen. you know, students even with assistive technology. When you mention kinesthetic learning, so many students I work with are so adept and so have so many strengths with using assistive technology. We know the tools that are out there now that can help with reading and writing, um, and note taking. All kinds of you know uh, tools that really narrow the gap of uh, that a student might experience with learning. Um, simple tools that don't take the place of doing the actual work. It just assists in the process so that learning can be more crystallized for that particular individual. And oftentimes it's a strength for them. So it can be used in a wide variety of ways.
1: Yeah, Yeah. That's fantastic. I think, you know, knowing what's out there is an important part. And this is one of the reasons I wanted you to come on the podcast is because I think so many parents or individual students or even adults don't really know what's out there to help them learn. I was talking to someone a while back and talking about some apps that are out there for organization and this person's an adult and we were talking about it and they were like, I wish I had this when I was going through school, it would have made so much more sense on how to organize things in the sense of if we're talking about having trouble focusing, if you have, a lab report you're working on but you have to keep shuffling through the papers to go back to the instructions it's not conducive to the learning environment and you start to struggle and then a lot of times can give up because it's a huge challenge that maybe the person next to you is not dealing with
0: absolutely absolutely and those simple tools make all the difference you know it's kind of like I think of when you talk about flipping through the papers and working with students, you know, just things like mind mapping to brainstorm, you know, use something like inspiration is a great tool. Um, it's an, you can, it is an app, it's also a piece of software. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you can literally, you know, have options of the type of paper you can plug information into. Is it a compare contrast paper? Um, is it an argument that you're making? Um, simple things like text to speech, which, you know, is very common now on a lot of different um, technologies, but, yep. you know, Kurzweil, uh, read-write, um, and it's not just for, you know, we've talked about this too, you know, my view is that we are very neurodiverse and that our deficits are not abnormal, they are actually normal, right. um, and it's all part of the spectrum of neurodiversity, and so it, these aren't just tools for individuals who are challenged by learning, these are tools for all of us to use to make things more efficient, yeah. um, and more fun, sometimes just more fun,
1: <laughs> yeah, I like that talk to you know? speech thing. I remember when I was going through college, there was a program out there. I can't remember what it was called. I think it was called Dragon Speech or, or something of that nature. I, I'm pretty sure Dragon was in in the the still there. title. I'm still there's Dragon. Still there.
0: Actually speaking, yes.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm a huge, yep. huge fantasy fan over here, so I was like, oh, that's that's pretty badass. Like, I could get this and. Right? Really expensive for a college kid, and it was so new wave and a, ahead of its time. And now I look and I say, "Oh, I could send text to to my family members." That's right. Text, and so it's advanced so far that we forget sometimes where it was before and what's out there and what can actually be more beneficial. Because sometimes yeah, I mean, and typing is not the most conducive to the creative process.
0: Yeah, for some people producing information in the written format with a pen in hand or a pencil in hand can be very challenging, mm-hmm. that production piece. But talking about it might be the strength, as you're saying, so Dragon Naturally Speaking, absolutely, I remember when it came out, I remember how expensive it was. And, you know, in schools being required at times to actually purchase it for students. Um, and then some students trying to purchase it on their own and that was challenging. Um, but now it's, it's. I think it's all of a hundred bucks. Um, so, yeah, much better. And like you're saying, a lot of things are built in with dictation abilities now, anyways. So it has come a long way. Um, and I, you know, I work uh, right now as a learning specialist part time up at Landmark College in Putney, Vermont, and uh, this is just part of their what they do, you know, uh, in working with students with learning uh, challenges. So uh, students kind of come to the table with those already in place and and use them well um, to, to produce what they need to produce. Yeah.
1: So I wanna just uh, go back to the beginning a little bit. So you talked about your history and what you are doing. What drew you to this area of focus? What was, it that was the beacon that was kind of guiding you towards doing this? Yeah.
0: You know, honestly, I, I, this is gonna sound a little bit out there, but I could see the healing that was happening. You know, So students, their educational experience uh, was just not as positive as it should have been and there wasn't a lot of compassion and understanding that I was observing that a student had experienced. And it really upset me, <laughs> um, it really upset me. And i it's interesting because when I first started off in this field, I like many people used to think, oh, someone with ADHD, they should just be able to buckle down and do the work. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of judgment around it and I had a lot of misconception around it and um, and then as I started to do my job as a learning specialist, of course, I started to learn a lot more and understand what was kind of happening with the brain. And then of course, same with students with learning disabilities, which was more straightforward to me because they could organize their time, right? They might, so a student might have difficulty with reading comprehension, uh, but there was a way to, you know, listen to your text or what have you, but they could organize their time, they could activate and get their work done. So the, the real kind of gold nugget for me was Uh, really being able to be impactful to educating, uh, to if someone was ready, you know, that's a big piece of all this too, you know, I kind of, my work is kind of falling in within motivational interviewing tools that allow me to hear language and what people are saying to see if they're ready for change and really kind of having a safe environment where they can come back to chat about it again if they're not ready. And then also to use um, Prochaska's stages of change And is someone really thinking about it? Where are they at? Are they actually preparing? Are they willing to work with me and prepare and learn some strategies um, and then implement them? Are they gonna take action? And are they gonna start to implement it on their own? And of course, it's always gonna recycle back to some point, maybe we're beginning again, but the healing that would take place through the practices that I was taught and the things that I was interested in doing with students really was my passion and seeing students change, seeing them be successful. And the relief on their faces, even in just that initial step with self-advocacy and supporting it with, oh, this is what ADHD is. This is why I'm having a hard time finishing my paper and why I do it last minute. Oh, that's because the brain needs fear or excitement to get it done. The last minute produces that pressure of fear or the excitement to get it done depending on the interest level of the paper. So to see students start to uh, basically be more metacognitive thinking about what they know and what they need to do, and then seeing the outcome of that and the healing that would take place and accepting who they are as a learner. Their identity development as a learner was a big part of where my passion kind of came from. Um, And then with parents as well, because the parents often in the same boat, right? Not a lot of education for them around what's going on. Um, And so that piece of it for me being an ADHD parent coach, boy, bam, the world just kind of opens up for parents. And they, I mean, I think I've said this to you before, when I work with students that I know I'm kind of focusing on ADHD, that is kind of my area of primary passion. Um, But when we talk about the ADHD brain of students willing to sit down and chat with me about that, um, within five minutes, they're kind of in tears. And they're kind of saying, you know, the relief of you get me. Okay, now we're starting at square one. You know, someone kind of gets my brain and how it's working. And then that's a good, yeah, a good place to say, okay, you might be in now to learn a little bit more and we're going to move forward. It's going to get better. It's going to get better.
1: I love that because I do think so much of this work is forming connections and working on the components of that relationship. So when you think about it, a lot of people who have gone through a learning disability or... you you know having trouble focus or being on task or ADHD a lot of times they're told no or you're not doing this right or you you need to sit still and I I do think there's a payoff on that in the in the sense of increased anxiety and depression related to self-esteem and confidence but to have someone sit with them and feel heard and understood and and hear hey you know this is not something that's going to sideline you. This is something that if we can harness it, we can really create a strength around it and teach you or retrain the brain to maybe you have to approach things differently, but you can still get it done. And then I think the added benefit of that is a lot of kids who are struggling with some of these preconceived notions of what education and school look like are highly adept in being able to be creative or think outside the box and problem solve just in a different way. And so part of that I think is finding how to incorporate that into the structure of what school or education or a job or relationship looks like.
0: Absolutely, I I completely agree Um, that outside of the box thinking is typically a strength interpersonal skills, social skills are typically a strength. And, you know, like, as I said before, you know, most people do know with a, given a list of things to choose from, you know, what they're good at, or they tell, they tell you, <laughs> you know, they can tell you what they're pretty good at. Um, so to capitalize on that and, and to also understand, like we all have, when we come upon a challenge area, you know, to be able to manage it in a way where you know that, oh yeah, this is what I have difficulty with. Right. I'm not gonna head down this path anymore. I've been down there and now I have a different way of managing this. And to start to employ those tools gives a whole different outcome. And as you're saying, you know, that self-esteem piece is right there, is right there. And so to keep having the successes is much more, you know, um, supportive um, for students to feel okay. Um, and there may be other challenges. They may head to another environment other than school or other than home. It might be the work environment, it might be a whole other set. But again, to kind of register it as I mean, this is a way to work through this. There's a way to do it um, and come out okay. So, yeah. Um,
1: I like the component you're talking about with uh, parents as well, because I, I, again, sitting with that and thinking what is what is wrong? I'm doing air quotes. What is wrong with my kid? Yeah. Why can't they get it? Yeah. And then sitting with like, oh, how do I do this? Or feeling like you're at the end of your rope, or or you're burning the candle at both ends. It's really taxing. And a lot of parents I've talked to and and just know in life have that same kind of mentality. And I think when when that's when those struggles come up, we tend to buckle down and kind of go to our basis needs and we're like oh no i'm going to be in control of this and so i'm going to set this limit and then this is what it's going to look like and by sheer force of will i'm going to make this happen with my kid and i'm wondering what you think about that because my own inclination is that's the exact opposite of what you want to do Um, but i want to hear from you too like what what do you think where do you think that comes from and, and what advice do you often give parents who might be um, doubling down on that. Yeah,
0: I think it's a it's a real frustration. I think it's a very real frustration uh, when there is a lot of misunderstanding about behaviors that are happening, and when you don't understand what's behind the behaviors, or the lack of um, control that the child might have within those behaviors, and also not not having the tools to manage them. Usually, there's a gap, right? There's a gap between the parent's expectation. Mm-hmm and the tools the student has to meet the expectation. So, so I think that parents, instead of going to, and I understand it, buckling down and saying, you will do this and try to force it, you know, take that step back. And that's where I think we're also on the same page with this is where it is important to practice some other tools of how to remain calm and still remain connected to your child and be able to say, I'm feeling, you know, angry at the moment, I need to remove myself and I'm going to come back in 10 minutes and we're going to talk about this and we're going to figure out a way to do this better. Very different than saying, you know, you will enforcing it, enforcing something that the child may not be able to even do. Right. And so really important for that common connected piece to be there so the, children doesn't, the child doesn't think that the parent is not on their side. You know, they need the most advocacy and the most support from those who love them the most. Um, And I frequently say to parents, you know, you know, your child best, you know, and so you're with them the most and we're not all perfect. I'm a parent I'm not a perfect parent, but um, if we can have the self-awareness and the wherewithal in the moment to take that step back, let's use it for an opportunity for us to grow as a parent. And then we're teaching also, you know, our son or daughter how to handle this situation the next time. And these can be, and the frustrations, as I say, are so real. They can be as simple as I want you to brush your teeth right right. now, (laughs) you know. And um, but because this kid is different from this kid, you know, these two brothers are two different people. This one might go and brush their teeth at seven p.m. and be fine with it. This one may be doing three other, four other things before they do that. And is that okay? It might be okay. Yeah. You know, it might be okay to say, you know what, you do your teeth within the hour. but I would like you to brush your teeth at seven and get these two other tasks done. Like, that's all right. Um, Everyone's an individual and they all come out differently, (laughs) even in the same family, you know? So I
1: have three siblings and uh, we're all a little bit special in our own right. (laughs) Um, So let me ask you that. So you mentioned control. I mentioned control uh, from the parent's perspective, but I also feel like part of what may be happening for some of these kids is, is really feeling untethered or ungrounded in a sense, and and really reaching out for control where, where they feel like it's easiest to get it by refusing or getting parents to react, which is counterintuitive, right? But, but also has a dopamine reward of, Hey, I got mom to yell at me. I controlled that situation. Or I got dad to yell at me or whoever, grandma or my grandparents, um, So, and that's a whole nother level because a lot of times if we're both vying for control, we're ostensibly against each other and and that's not what we're trying to cultivate. So I like that idea of what you're saying, like, hey, I need to get, get this done within the hour. And I think that opens up the conversation of you have some control over how you do this. You have some control over the outcome. And yes, there may be natural consequences, right? Because that's how life is and we have to, you know, build that rational brain to, to balance that out, but you do have control of outcome. And I think that's an important, important aspect.
0: I also think too, I totally agree, but I also think that sometimes I think as parents, we believe something is true when it might not be true. Mm-hmm. Like we believe something must happen at a certain time in a certain way, which yeah. is the control piece, right? Right. And I think sometimes just asking ourselves, is that true? what's going to happen if it doesn't, it's probably going to be okay. If, right. If my child does now, and I hear you too with the consequences, it doesn't mean that at the end of that hour, if, you know, if teeth still aren't brushed, might there be a consequence? Well, there might be, but then I, then you have to prioritize. Then you have to start prioritizing what the tasks are that are so important to have a consequence, right? right. A built in consequence. So, you know, um, I feel like, you know, it's, it's, it is more complex, right, than um, uh, I think the average person might be heading into parenthood with sometimes. Because again, we don't know. We don't know if we're gonna have a kid who has more challenges than not. So we're not all equipped, but I think it is a the parent, if the parents can, or the guardians, be more just self-aware in those moments. It's a, it's a, it's a learning curve. It's, it's an opportunity for growth. If you don't wanna create this scenario, look at yourself kind of first, see what's going on here and know that we're kind of teaching our kids how to manage this as well. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that's uh, so when I teach mindfulness to people, to, to kids, I often talk to parents about mindfulness as well, because when we're trying to work on mindfulness and educate people on mindfulness and create their own practice, a lot of times that's the last thing you, you do. You have to create a base layer of your own practice and then maybe If you're a parent, your own practice of mindfulness and then your spouse's practice of mindfulness and then, you know, bringing that into everyday living and then doing the instructions of like, hey, this is how you practice it and giving those examples. And then and only then once you lay those base layers is is the actual work of mindfulness for the kid, because you have to cultivate that environment and from and I could be wrong, but from what you're saying, it's, it's almost like doing that awareness and introspection as a parent cultivates the, an environment of that for the kid to follow. I suit.
0: think so. I think so. And I think, um, you know, in my work and in my beliefs around this work. I often felt the parents have to kind of go through the same you know, learning process as the student. They do have to know, and again, I kind of keep heading back to ADHD and LDs, but they have to know what that diagnosis is. They have to, the, for themselves, have identity development occurring about acceptance of what is happening with their child. They have to be metacognitive about what their child needs and what the tools are that they need. They have to learn communication tools. That's kind of what we're talking about, collaborative right. communication mm-hmm. skills, things like that in order to have the outcomes they want. Um, They need to know the laws that um, impact them and their child. Students need to know that for themselves and parents need to go through that process with with, with their child. And it's it's not easy and there aren't a lot of supports out there that are so targeted in this way. Um, You know, we have laws in place that do provide supports. Uh, K through 12 and in the higher ed environment as well, but it's not so targeted and there really isn't, uh, I know you've talked about kind of a, um, I don't know if it was a mindfulness curriculum or a curriculum within the schools, Mm -hmm. you know, and I was saying, I think similarly this underlying curriculum is, and it's only needed because of what isn't there right now. Someday, wouldn't it be nice to kind of all melded together where students were taught from the beginning kind of what was going on. And also to demystify it and destigmatize it, even in the classroom. Let's talk about learning for a day. Let's talk about the different types of learners that exist. When you see someone being challenged by this, what might that mean? It might not mean what you think. And it, and, and, the, and the kicker is it has nothing to do with intellect.
1: Right? right?
0: None mm-hmm. of it. And that's a really big piece that is still misunderstood. So, and that's where I think sometimes the frustration can come for parents I have a super bright kid or an above-average kid intellectually, and why can't they do A, B, C, and D? It doesn't make sense, right? Yeah. And yet, yeah.
1: Yeah, and we—you can see these things manifest, like you were talking about earlier, in school or outside of school. And, and the trick is, sometimes kids who get straight A's are holding it together by the skin of their teeth, and and they're able to do it, and they don't get diagnosed with something until college or or until they're an adult and they're like oh i didn't manifest in the way i thought and and that's where the education comes in really understanding what these what these things are and and what they look like and how it's individual for each person and i think that's so powerful to be able to say hey this is what's happening this is how i i kind of uh, harness you know, my own ability to do things and create this superpower from it because I, I do think that's the important piece. So often, like I was mentioning before, if I'm working with a kid who has a ADHD, one of the first things I ask them when we're alone in session is like, Do you know what that is? Do you do you know what the diagnosis is? Like, do you know what it means? And a lot of times it says, Oh, I, I'm just different, or I, I don't learn right or something's wrong with me. And we do a lot of psychoeducation on, no, 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 that's not what it is. And we kind of expounded. And sometimes I've made programs with them. Hey, if you're a superhero, you don't know how to use your superpowers right away. So you have to go through some kind of process to learn that. And so we'll either have that and, hey, we're doing superhero training or we're doing Jedi training because people with the force don't really know how to harness that right away. And they have to go through these things to, to learn it. And that's all we're doing here. We're just learning how to, to put your best foot forward, so to speak. And I think, I love what you're doing because of that, because it is so generative to the youth, to the family, to the teachers even, um, you know, to, to have that concept in mind when working with people.
0: Thank you. I, I love that concept of your harnessing your superpower. Okay. <laughs>
1: Again, I'm a huge, Um, you can see the Captain America shield (laughs) in the background. I see
0: it. (laughs) No, I think that's great. Um, You know, if I could plug a little something about ADHD, um, I, you know, I subscribe pretty wholly to Dr. Thomas E. Brown's uh, definition of ADHD, and um, he is out, he has uh, the Brown ADHD clinic out in Manhattan Beach, California. He used to be at Yale, but he's kind of my go-to read and my go-to Definition and if people want to have information about um, brownadhdclinic.com, it just gives a wonderful definition in a way that is really understandable to people and straightforward. Um, You know, uh, there's just good information there. And uh, in in working in this field for so long, I, I feel like he. He is in line with what I have been observing in students for so long. And now I think thousands of students that I've worked with over time. Um, so just a little plug um, for any book that he has published <laughs> and for his his website. Yeah, sure. Um,
1: if you can yeah. if you send me that, I'll uh, put it in the show notes. When sure, air, yeah. So that people can check out the show notes and, and yep. have those resources because I think that's really important. And I like how you're talking about the laws that are out there, because I have worked with uh, teenagers who are in 12th grade struggling, they go for some support from the school. The school says, well, you're, you're a senior, so it doesn't really matter. There's not gonna be academic supports in college, so, you just have to do it, which is wrong first of all, and kind of illegal in the sense of no, you have a, a 504, you have an IEP, and you have to help educate this this child. You can't just say, Well, it's your last year, so we're gonna right.
0: nope. And they have rights, and so yeah, there are there's a different set of laws. K through twelve is still the American with Disabilities Act and the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, the IDEA. But there is this transition, right? Transition to college. What I've mm-hmm. noticed in the past, I want to say, 10 years, is this big switch to get students off of IEPs, put them on 504s, right? And that's been a little bit concerning to me, <laughs> or disconcerting to me, I should say, because if you still need something, you still need something. But there's this push, a push, a push. So the 504 is like a straight up accommodation. It's your mm-hmm. extended time, right? Um, it's maybe you're going to have exams read out loud to you. And your IEP is kind of still having learning support throughout your week. We're going to be working on reading comprehension, very specific skill-based things. In college, um, it's section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act and the American with Disabilities Act that protects the rights and responsibilities of students with disabilities. And there isn't a lot of connection for those students with learning disabilities and ADHD heading off to college or students with disabilities to say, what what are accommodations now? Because it's really different. It's, right. it's actually, yeah. it's access to education in college. That's what the phrasing kind of is in ease, And so students really don't have those conversations. That conversation with that guidance counselor or that special ed teacher or any teacher really is about, let's talk about what accommodations you might need. Because when you come to college, it's actually the expectation that you know and that you're able to advocate for yourself what you need. Um, that is part of the work that I do, is working with college students in that transition process. Um, And uh, it's desperately needed out there because they often don't know. And and as we've been talking about, they don't know what they need because they don't know what it is, but they might know what challenges they're having, but they might not know what tools are out there. They might think they just still have to try to hunker down or it might be a a student who has, like you said earlier, they've done really well because they're kind of bright, they kind of manage their environment in a way where they were able to get by and do pretty well. Then you get to college your workload is now doubled right, and right. your reading load has doubled and so it's taxing you in a different way and now you actually need help and for the first time you might actually not be doing well in a course and it's kind of shocking to, to the family and to the student and now they're relearning a whole other system uh, that they haven't even tapped into yet um, even though the diagnosis may have been there so that kind of educative piece is, is a big hole too uh, in that transition to college, you know, from high school to college for a lot of students Yeah. So, and for educators.
1: So you have a ton of knowledge, which I, I think we would probably have to do a five-part podcast to get, get all that knowledge out. I, I have
0: fooled you today.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I know you and I are working on putting something together for next year because the Promethean Project is looking into do, doing some uh, community forums once a month and having speakers come in and provide some knowledge around different bases. And I, you know, you and I had touch base about probably doing some around this stuff. I know you've written a book or co-written a book, right? On this stuff. And you are in the process of launching a new business. So why don't you tell me a little bit about that business? I'll include the link you sent me yesterday in the show notes. I've actually already given out the link to a couple parents. So expect some kind of outreach from.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Um, I appreciate that.
1: But I want to highlight the work that you and your co-founder are working on right now and what it is and what it looks like and what you offer.
0: Sure. So a good friend and colleague of mine, Tabitha Mancini, um, we've uh, developed a business called Collaborative Learning Services, CLS, um, mycollaborativelearning.com. And it's really, um, it's an educational consulting company and an academic support company. We're kind of combining uh a plethora of work that we've done over the years into one company, uh, which is really offering uh, workshops to educators on a variety of disability related issues and learning in general, um, offering one-on-one support uh, to students, basically from middle school to high school. Sometimes I do work with uh, elementary school age students, depending upon the families that I work with. Um, And we do all kinds of support. It can be as basic as homework support, but it could also be learning specialist support. So it can be uh, something that kind of infuses everything we've talked about today. As we help someone accomplish tasks, as we support a student in doing homework, we're also having conversations around metacognition, supporting decision-making, choice-making, all self-determination skills. Um, We do executive function support. So students who might be struggling with activation, organization, planning their time, initiating tasks, um, we do things where we just simply educate about learning disabilities and ADHD. Um, and then we also provide ADHD parent coaching, which is really specific. Um, I am a trained ADHD parent coach, and I really infuse ADHD um, education. Um, I also teach parents collaborative communication skills, and, uh, and it's, it's highly individualized as well, and working on the specific issues they might be challenged by with their particular son or daughter. Um, So that's kind of the work we do as a whole Um, and we are really excited to continue. We've been doing this work since this this past summer. Uh, We've just kind of launched our website and we're continuing just to develop our work throughout this next year. COVID has kind of put a little kink into things for a lot of people, but we are meeting with people in Zoom um, and in moving everything forward and hoping maybe within the next six to eight months to have some type of a location to
1: be <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Glad to hear that. All right. Yeah. So before we wrap up, I always finish with the, with two questions that okay. I like putting out there and it goes back to the geekiness of superhero um, <laughs> culture. Got to keep it real on the podcast. You know? <laughs> so the first question is if you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? And then the second question would be, what do you think your superpower is, your real life superpower?
0: I, well, I'm gonna start with my real life superpower. Okay. Um, I, think my, I think my real life superpower is, um, I don't know if it can be a combination, but it's, it's kind of the, the, the mindfulness and compassion in the moment working with someone um, and listening. And if I could be a real life superhero, Geez, I feel like my daughter is a real life superhero. I may want to be her. Um,
1: <laughs> so good.
0: <laughs> she's pretty spectacular. Um, she's, I don't know, some form of Wonder Woman for sure, for sure. Um, I do like the fact that she has an invisible plane. Uh, so yeah, and would, would get me places quickly. Yeah, so it must be Wonder Woman, just because it's it's supporting womanhood and uh breaking barriers and doing stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah What's what yours? Awesome. Who do you want to be? That's
1: this something. comes up a, a couple times in the podcast. So I'm, I'm sure listeners are probably sick of hearing my answer to it. But one of my answers that I like putting out there is to control probability because the idea oh, wow. of having superpowers means nothing is impossible. And if I could control probability, it's kind of a hack to get any power I want, <laughs> Want really. That is cool. Yeah.
0: That is cool.
1: Put some thought yeah. into it um, yeah. from a young age. So any last gems of knowledge you want to throw out there for our listeners? Things that you want to leave them with or things that you really hope they take away from this podcast? Well, I just
0: really hope they take away that, you know, just to be understanding uh, listen and accept others for who and what they are. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's really important, um, for everyone to feel like they're loved, you know, and that is, uh, you know, a a big piece of the work that I do. And it's the biggest impact that I see that helps students feel, feel good. So, uh, that would probably be my, my biggest piece of advice.
1: Awesome. So if you're interested in touching base with Lori or picking her brain on anything, her contact, in we'll, the website and uh, Dr. Brown's website will also be all in, in the show notes. So you can click on those or follow her on her one social media as of right now um, right. website. And then um, stay tuned because we're hoping to collaborate a little bit more and, and offer more open questioning kind of community oriented opportunities to, to do that and be engaged in that. So Laurie, thank you so much for coming on. I'm honored to have you on the podcast, uh, honored to talk to you about this stuff. I love it so much. And I think it's needed, especially now more than ever. So uh, thank you for the work and, and the grace and compassion you bring to it.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. It's been lovely.
1: <laughs> thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be on the podcast, please outreach to us at info at theprometheumproject.org. If you want to learn more about the Promethean Project, or if you would like to donate to our cause, you can reach us at the If you really do enjoy this podcast, please share with your friends. Like our posts on social media and Instagram and on Facebook. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or any podcast app that you like to listen to. Again, thank you for taking a listen. And remember, the most important step is always the next one.